The following program is an abridged audio version of the streaming video talk show, A Wonderful Chaos. The hosts are Andy Chaliff and Bambos Dimitriou. The format is entirely casual, unscripted conversation. If you'd like to watch a live taping or participate with your comments in real time, subscribe to A Wonderful Chaos on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, or Twitch. I feel like they're killing my soul. It was like my soul was speaking to me. And that's when I knew it was like, it was time to get out. And what ends up happening is as human beings, again, I'll go back to it. We want to be acknowledged, seen and heard, but we're taught and we learn and society continually tells us we need that from an outside source. The only person we need to be heard from, listened to, acknowledged from is us. Put yourself first isn't about getting your nails done and getting a massage. It's truly understanding who you are, mind, body, spirit. And really, at the end of the day, as long as you are fulfilled from yourself and you do that work, the rest is just gravy. It's a wonderful chaos. Solo or tandem. We work to find rest and fight to find peace. Both head and the heart. Like a nephew and niece. What are we doing here? You mean listening to this show? Where the more that you learn is the less that you know. Where the wounded are healers. And the atheists pray? It's a wonderful chaos. And we like it that way. It's a wonderful chaos. And we like it that way. It's a wonderful chaos. Good afternoon, Mr. Good afternoon, Mr. Charles Dimitrio. Nice to see you. Likewise. Had a coaching call this morning from somebody from Cyprus. Really? Yes, yeah, some random call from an individual I'd never met from Cyprus said they'd like to call. And of course, what do you think their problems were? Daddy and mommy issues? <laughs> well, I think drugs? <laughs> well, no, specifically, you know, daddy issues. I don't have a very high regard for Cyp- Cypriot males. Ever since I've met you, we've had a, I don't think I've had a good story about it. So, so if you're a good, clean Cypriot male with a good background and loving heart, we want to have you on the show. <laughs> Just a, we have Heidi Allen on today, and we're going to discuss putting yourself first. You're a dick. <laughs> I know I am. She's the founder of the Global Women's Empowerment Group, and she was in media and TV for 10 years doing reality TV and the, the biggest um, daytime show in Canada. Yep. And uh, three years ago, she said, I'm leaving this and I'm taking care of myself instead of trying to take care of everybody else. And I imagine as a producer, that's the kind of stuff that you have to do is to get things done. You have to help everyone else feel good. So now you get to say, hey, it's about me now. And we're going to talk to her for the hour. On, on on this show. This show, A Wonderful Chaos. Yes, so where, where did you find this lady? Was it your trolling thing? It was a trolling. And I saw she did some interesting posts on Facebook. And I was looking and I thought, you know, I'm always enjoying shows where we talk about the moment in life when you say, actually, I, I thought I loved what I was doing, but I'm sort of, the thing I see is that, there is a moment, I think, in a lot of people's lives where you don't even know you're people-pleasing. So you go through life and you're doing things well because this is the way things need to get done. But in order to get them done, you're actually giving up piece after piece of yourself to others because those others often aren't taking responsibility. So you have to take responsibility for them. And, and, you, and, and I've seen my own narrative 
is like, I'm good at what I do. Like that was my narrative. I'm good at what I do. So I'm good at what I do because I'm taking responsibility for everything everyone else isn't doing. That, that was how it was for me. Yeah. And then at some point, you, you know, you like take a deep breath and hopefully you don't have to have a disease because that's the thing we talk about often is unfortunately health is usually the reason why we make a, a big life change. But yeah. uh, when, when you or death of someone near to us, but like all of a sudden you sit there and you're like, God, I thought I was living the life I wanted to live. But if I'm honest with myself, like I don't want to babysit these people anymore. And then you've got. In my case, I had two to three years of golden handcuffs because you get paid way too much money to do things that you do easily because you've gotten used to it. So if you've done something for 10, 15 years, you get paid a lot of money because of your just your expertise. And But then you're like stuck in this, how do I let go of that comfort? And that was, I think, on a show. When you say uh, no to that comfort, what are you saying yes to? Exactly. In, in, the, in I, your I, case, it was an attic room. <laughs> it was an attic with no and, electricity, no water. And no, a bottle to pee in. And a bottle to pee in. Ronnie doesn't like that. Ronnie does not like that. Um, and you can read you all can that read in, it in the book. last letter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ronnie does, like, does not like the detail of pissing in a bottle. That, that She's like, Andy, you can say everything else, but not that. In her, in her. I'm taking over. Yeah. So that's sort of this interesting game I, I find. And I think the the time when you're building and there's a lot of identification because of course we identify with our successes and how people see us and there's a prestige. <laughs> so the weirdest thing in this process of making yourself first is also letting go of the fact that you're not the person who you built yourself up to be. So there is a little bit of a mourning process as I've experienced in my own life. It's letting go of, of a kind of an identity And you're also letting go of how people see you because potentially people will judge you for, Hell not, yeah. for not being that person oh, anymore. I mean, the best thing is going to be talking to Heidi. Like, how many people did she think were friends was when she put herself first? And then they, all of a sudden, all these sort of people, like, disappeared from her life. Like, oh, and then that's a sad moment. Oh. For, that's, been, that's happened to me on two or three occasions. When you think you're building something, but you don't realize people are attracted not to you, but to what they think they can get from you. And that's not uh, that's not an easy pill to swallow when you go through this process as well. So yeah, that's a little. I like to frame the the activities before we come on and what attracted me to this story, and that Beautiful. was it. Yeah. So I think it'd be great to bring Heidi on so we can hear Heidi the real Allen. story. Hello, Heidi Allen. Hello, hello. So great to be here, guys. In the intro, we always like to ask, because we do talk when the guest isn't there, and it's not always fair because they don't have a chance to say, hey, that wasn't really totally right. Is there anything we said that you could or could not identify with? No, you kind of nailed everything. It's like you went right in my head and pulled every single thing out that actually occurred. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny because, like, you know, there's that saying, and I forget these sayings, but I know the meaning of them and behind them, which is like, whatever is to be experienced is human to all of us. So we've all had a similar experience if we've gone through the similar journey. And, and mm -hmm. yeah, for that reason, I thought this story was really nice to bring on. Mm -hmm. No, honestly, I think it's a really important story, but it's, it's very true because there are more people that are act that actually felt or feel right now the way I felt a number of years ago. 
And, but they, you know, maybe it's, you know, a lot of people say to me, I don't have the courage to do it. You were so courageous to do that. And I'm always so shocked when people say that to me because courage had nothing to do with it. <laughs> like absolutely nothing. It was just that moment of, I just didn't have a choice anymore is what mm. it felt like. I, I, I couldn't stay there. I felt, I remember going into work and you know how you hear people talk all the time, like, oh, I'm so stressed out. I'm so busy. I'm so stressed out. Um, I'm so anxious. I mean, we're so used to saying these words, but then we don't do anything about it. Yeah. For me, what was really interesting was the fact that 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 those words changed to, I feel like they're killing my soul. And as soon as I started saying language like that, and that's, that's the thing, it's like, we have all the answers inside of us. All we got to do is freaking listen to ourselves. And all of a sudden one day it's like, I'm saying that, Oh, I just feel like they're killing my soul. And it was an off the cuff comment. Yeah. And yet it's one of those moments where you go, wait a minute, that's a little profound. Who says that? It was like my soul was speaking to me. Mm. And that's when I knew it was like, it was time to get out. Wow. Yeah. I, I can feel by the way you're talking how strongly that moment must have been for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most definitely. Two to three years it took me from the moment which I thought this isn't working for me to feel safe or comfortable enough to, to get out. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. funny. I think it does take about two years in the sense of what I've sort of seen in myself from the moment that I have an idea to actually take the final action. It's like when it's a bigger action, when it's mm-hmm. like an idea like, oh, I'd love to like the Balmos mentioned, there's the house in Spain that I purchased some weeks ago from two years. Literally, it was two years ago, two weeks ago. Um, I was there with Bambos and then it's sort of like I let the idea gestate. I'm like, this is crazy. Okay, this might make sense. And then you kind of slowly and then it becomes part of your thinking process. And then it makes sense mm-hmm. just to do it. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's exactly it. I mean, we have a tendency as human beings to talk ourselves out of everything. You guys mentioned it right off the top. It's like, what are people going to think? You know, and it wasn't until I really discovered it's none of my damn business what anybody else thinks, you know, and when you repeat that in your head, it's none of my business what you think. It really isn't. And when you're able to kind of really separate yourself from that, then you're like, why did I spend so much time worried about what everybody else was thinking? Right? Yeah. Yeah. What were you thinking about yourself? (laughs) That that's the thing. We don't. Like, like that's where put yourself first came from because we don't, our first thoughts are never our thoughts. It's, it's the thoughts of what other people think. It's the thoughts of our, what are our family going to think? Our spouses, our friends, our colleagues, like people on social media, what are they going to think? You know, it's like, oh my gosh, it's so ridiculous. And yet we're in that chaos. It's the name of your show, but where is that chaos Where's your own voice? Yeah, I think that's the funny thing is because as soon as you start having your own voice, you have people who know you as someone else. So it's all of a sudden, what happened to Heidi? So how many how many of the what happened to Heidi people do you have? Like, I'm sure that they've sort of slowly migrated away from you. But mm-hmm. how many of them did you have to kind of work through? Um, I, I love that you even mentioned that, that there was a grieving process because in the beginning there was a huge grieving process. It was, 
was starting to understand that the more I leaned into the personal self-development, the more I leaned into my own voice and the feelings, the real authentic feelings that I had, it was almost like I, I started to see that they were afraid of me. Right. Because the thing is, is every time they showed up, they were still in the, you know, toxic, anxiety ridden jobs and they were still doing all that. None of them had made big decisions to actually start doing the work. None of them. So what I was was just this constant reminder that they're not doing anything. Yeah. And, and that's why I even mentioned like people would constantly say, you're so courageous. And I'm like, again, and I would say to them, courage had nothing to do with it. I just felt like I didn't have a choice anymore. You know, it was like, listen, like I get, and it was that realization of I get one freaking life, one, one, and this can't be it. You know, and I would say that to them and they're like, yeah, but you know, like I've got, you know, a pension and I've got benefits and, you know, a stable job and, you know, we go on vacation once a year and what about the kids? And I'm like, wow, well, you know what? Those things are all really important. If you figured out how to get that job and you figured out how to take all of that, don't you think you're smart enough to maybe figure out how you could do something else? Yeah. Right. And so, but yes, a lot of them, a lot of them just started to, it was very, it was subtle in the beginning. It was, you know, people just weren't necessarily texting back as fast or emailing. And one of the biggest things I noticed was I even started, you know, sharing different things on social media. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm sharing kind of the journey I'm going on. And, and what I started to notice is all these people that, you know, used to like and comment on a regular basis were all of a sudden ghosting me, like gone. Like, and the thing is, is I knew they were seeing stuff, you know, like, like, you know, that they're, 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 they're watching what you're doing, but all of a sudden they're not pressing that like. They're not making a comment anymore. And so all of that. And I was like, and I, and I would ask, I'm like, oh, like, did you see like, oh my gosh, like, oh yeah, I saw that. And then I'm thinking in my head, well, where did you go then? Like, yeah. And yet, and then you'd see them liking, you know, Susie's photo of her jumping in a pool or, you know, like, like, or somebody's, you know, like, like dinner at a restaurant that they're taking all their food shots. They're liking and commenting like crazy. And yet. Where'd you go? Right? Yeah. Yeah. So it was very, very strange. And there was, there was a number, I would say it was about a good year, a good year of kind of really kind of removing myself from that environment. And, and I just, and it's really amazing. And anyone that is going through this or thinking of going through this, they want to do something. They want to start shifting their lives, whatever it is. I'm going to tell you, the moment you finally just start to let go of those people, new people show up. New like-minded people, they all show up. But the thing is, is those new people aren't going to show up unless you let go of the old ones. So it's like you just kind of got to let go. And what I've also found, though, is, is there's been a number of them that have actually come back. Mm. So they, they continued to watch, they continued and all of a sudden it's, it's there when they're, they're kind of like, Oh, I'm, I'm, you know, especially when we went through the last 18 months that we've all gone through, you know, with COVID, but, you know, a number of them all of a sudden when they're, you're feeling that, Oh, I feel lost. Oh, I don't know who I am anymore. Who the hell do you think they reached out to? Right. 
right? Heidi? Heidi? Yeah. Exactly. Heidi, I am curious, though, because, like, as you're speaking, I, I'm very visual in my brain. So I'm seeing the people moving away from you because they can't connect. Like, who, is that you? Like, who? what did you just say? So who were you in, their, in, in your mind's eye back then? And who and how would you describe yourself now besides being really passionate? Oh, wow, that is a really phenomenal question. Um, to tell you the truth, I don't really honestly believe I'm that much different. I think there's there's subtle things and I think it comes down to um, how how many times did I play the part that they wanted me to play? Yeah. It wasn't that I was really necessarily that different. I was just not willing to play their part of Heidi anymore. And so I've always been, I can't describe enough and you can go all the way back to my childhood. I've always been this very super positive, optimistic person. Always. I've always been that person, but the, the, what people wanted from me is um, they, they constantly wanted um, like, I was the one that always threw the, the big ginormous parties. I was the one that always had the dinner parties. I was the one that always planned everything that we were doing. Like I've always, which is why I was a producer, right? Mm. It's like, I, I always did all of those things, but all of a sudden it's like, I no longer wanted to join in on, I'm just going to bitch and complain about everything and not do anything about it. Mm. And all of them liked that part, right? It's like, you know, join the club with us and let's all bitch together about life and people and gossip and do all of that. And all of a sudden it was like, I I don't want to do that anymore. Like, I'm just like, I, I, the positive that was always there, but I just, I'm not, I'm not playing your game. I I don't want to be a part of that. It's like, I don't want to just complain about how shitty life is. I want to actually go make a better one, Mm. you know? And Mm. so people didn't like that. They're like, Oh, like, Yes, yes. You know, and people would say to me when I started to shift, oh, my God, you're just so positive. I'm like, <laughs> Listen to yourself. You're saying it like it's a bad thing. Like, really? You'd rather me just stand here and bitch and complain with you about the weather and the traffic and the news and God only knows what's happening. You know, it's like, yeah, I just I just no longer wanted to partake in those conversations. And they didn't like that. It's like, and they would say it, you know, like, oh, where did the old Heidi go? Like, you used to just love to bitch and complain with me. (laughs) As you were speaking again, I I kind of connected with the little, the little Heidi, the the young version of you. And I'm, I'm kind of curious, was the little, like in her life, the little girl, was she a big people pleaser? And how, how, how was that for her? back then growing up? Um, it wasn't necessarily that I was a, a, a people pleaser. I was someone that got shit done. I always had big ginormous dreams. Um, I always accomplished everything that I ever set my mind to. I was the person like, and it's funny because I feel like there is an essence of there is the people pleasing in there because what would happen is I had a lot of people that would jump on the bandwagon of whatever success I had. Right. 
so I, I was able to like have this ginormous success and people were allowed to be a part of it. I, yeah. I gave permission for people to be a part of that. So is that maybe an element of people pleasing that I gave permission for them to ride on my coattails, even though they weren't willing to do it themselves? Mm. I think that you know? but I, I've seen that from because I'll work in a lot of say like visionary and venture capital people and really, really visionary people. And I, what I noticed is that immediately one of the first sort of issues they'll have is all of these hanger ons that aren't necessarily delivering the value they needed, which is people to be self-reliant. They are actually needing the energy from the person, the creator, and therefore they're always feeling like they're managing even the people that they, so the hardest thing for them is to hire good people because in essence, everyone wants their energy and isn't, you know, living from, and on the show, we'll often talk about that people living from their source. It's mm-hmm. a term that, uh, that mm-hmm. Peter uh, Koenig, Koenig came up Peter with. Yeah. And I'm sure mm-hmm. it's used often as well. I wanted to talk a little bit about the phase because uh, I think a lot of people can identify with when you go through big life changes and the world has to adjust itself to you. And you said something that I, I hadn't given a lot of thought to, but actually, as you spoke, I realized something from my own past. And it was this, is that there's, like if you had to like put groups of people, they're the groups of people that don't like anything that you're doing and they just like try to either separate themselves from you or denigrate it somehow. Mm-hmm. And then you've got another group, which I didn't even think about. They're the group that's sort of what the hell is he or she doing? I'm kind of I love him. I just don't know what to make of this yet. And I need time to figure out how I want to interact with this new version of Heidi or Andy. And mm-hmm. and I saw, and I really didn't think, but there were a lot of people in that group. So people who I knew well, they loved me, but they didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And they didn't mm-hmm. know if it was really me getting myself into a lot of trouble I couldn't get myself out of, and they didn't want to su- support it or like, and, and or they just didn't know how to interact with me in that uh, new way. And then there were the third group, which was just cheering me on and celebrating and like loving it. So I was sort of, if I look at my life in those three buckets, I would really say that middle bucket of people, I didn't quite know how, and that took almost time because mm-hmm. the time was required for them to readjust themselves to to me. Mm-hmm. And they'll still make snide remarks here and there, but in time, as I've become more confident and comfortable in the new way, I'll make my own snide remarks back. And then it's sort of like the playing field leveled, you know, like they'll make maybe mm-hmm. the, like, oh yeah, that's when you went off the rails. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Where finally my life was ha- happier than it was before, unlike what you haven't done in your life. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Actually, those 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 people in your life, that's the audience. Oh, yeah. They're the audience. They definitely bought the ticket when they became friends of yours. Yeah. But they're not going to be a part of the show that you're in. They're going to sit back and be the audience that's going to watch. Yeah. And that's why I said earlier, they're always watching. They're always watching because that's the part that they play. And what I, I'd love to say, Andy, is, is is actually really start looking at their life because you're probably going to notice that they are probably the audience of their own life as well. It's like they're never truly a part of something. Mm-hmm. They're the people that don't really give their opinion 
ever. They're, they're not, you know, stating facts or, or putting all of this stuff. Even if you look at their social media, their social media is actually conducted more like an audience than it is as someone that's going to, you know, I always say like, I, I walk around with my, my portable um, soapbox, you know, at any moment I could pull it out. You know what I mean? Depending on what's happening. And it's like, it folds down to this neat compartment and I can just put it in my purse. Something happened (laughs) and it's up and I'm on it. You know what I mean? It's like the port and everybody I feel needs a portable soapbox. I had that for like the first five years of my relationship with my wife and she refused to take me out with anyone she knew. She's like, Andy, when I take you out, it always ends in tears. Why does it, why does it like, why does it have to be that if we go out with friends, they're going to cry? Like, can't we have a discussion where they don't cry? You know, that was the, that was the narrative in the first years of our relationship. Yes. She started loving me more when I didn't give a shit. When I'm like, I'm just going to sit here and talk about something I know nothing about because it seems to make everyone comfortable. I know, (laughs) but it's so true. It's so incredibly true. Oh, yeah, for sure. Nice. But I think it's accommodating is different is I think when you're speaking, I also have to identify with somebody said, I also noticed when I first went into my real journey, because I feel in some ways there was a, I, I lived sort of like as a monk for those 10 years when I left the business world, because the guy I was with was he was insane. He was just like out there living in a whole nother universe, but I was participating in that universe. And by putting myself in such stressful situation, not stressful in the sense of doing stuff, but in taking responsibility for my own life, I was really confronted with every dark hole that was, you know, mm-hmm. didn't want to be seen into. No, but honestly, kudos to you. Like you went to that dark place. Like most people in their lifetime are not willing to do that. Mm-hmm. They're not willing yeah. to understand what those those dark places are that are inside of us. And every single one of us have them. I, I find it quite hilarious when people say to me, oh, no, no. Like, like, honestly, like yeah. I've dealt with everything. And I'm like, Wow. Okay then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that one. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 I've done the work. Yeah. I listen to Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's quite funny. It's like, yeah, wow. So okay, well, you you read one Eckhart Tolle book. Yep, you're good to go now. Bombos yeah. <laughs> has a friend, and 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 like. Yep, he has several friends, but there's one specific one we're talking about. And when they see me, they get scared and they and they like just drop. And I've never spoken to this person like I've never. But she's like, when he looks at me, I just feel like he sees things that I don't want him to see. And then she just like drives on very fast. (laughs) Okay, that's funny. That's that's really funny. (laughs) I've never met her. If if you're watching, whoever you are. Your secret's out. Your secret's out. Well, well, the funny thing is she has the same with me, but she doesn't run away. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, it would be nice to say hello to her once, you know, actually have an interaction (laughs) before someone like is that a frightened of me. I think because I think what people don't realize is that in, in one level, when you get more comfortable, you don't look at other people anymore. You kind of see the world as a reflection of your own insecurities. So mm-hmm. so you don't even look at them. It's like, oh, I see where that insecurity is there for me. And, and of course, if I'm triggered by it, then I'm like, wow, there's some work that needs to be done. So in a weird way, the world is just a reflection for me to look at what's unresolved. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if people like haven't kind of allowed themselves to feel that level of freedom, then of course, they're still judging stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. So, one hundred percent. 
I always say the way I, the way I raised my my boys. I have two boys. Um, they're not boys anymore. I have two adults now, but okay. um, I have two boys, and um, I, I always raise them to believe exactly what you just said there. But even more than that is is to really understand what it is that we're saying, what it is that we're believing, what it is that we're putting out there into the universe, mm. and that's even just our language, right? Yeah. And I would say to them in such a simple term, I would say, you know, like, say my, my son would get up in the morning, he'd be, you know, like, oh my gosh, this is just going to be the worst day of my life. And I would say to him, you got to watch what you're putting out there. If you're honestly believing you're going to have the worst day of your life, you're going to have the worst day of your life. You've got to think of the universe. And I'm not the first one to come up with this, but you've got to think of the universe as like a magic genie. And the magic mm. genie every single day goes, what are we doing here? And you're like, I'm going to have the worst day of my life. And the magic genie is like, ding, your wish is granted, you know? And it's like, that's what happened. So I would constantly say to them, like, what are you putting out there? Like, if that, if that's what you're, if that's how you want to live your life, if that's how, you know, like, oh my gosh, everything awful happens to me. Well, if you keep believing that every single day, then nothing but that is going to happen. And so, you know, this Mm. is, this is like the simplest way of explaining it. But if you can, if you can get up every single day and you start really monitoring those thoughts that are in your head, the way you're constantly beating yourself up or the way you're talking about everyone else or what it is that you're predicting is going to happen or you're worrying about everything, it's like all you got to think is that magic genie is just waiting for your command. I got another strategy with the kids, and I do this with my wife all the time. Um, if she did you, said, com- did you just compare your wife to the kids? I love it. Go yeah, on. Right. what's the difference? I do it with everyone in my life, as you'll as you'll know, Bombos. I've done it with you on a few occasions, I'm sure. Um, when anyone goes into that kind of rabbit hole of despair, and and, and it's a narrative. Let's agree that if it's a death or something, then that's just holding space and loving and then just giving them time to heal. But I'm talking about the narrative, which is just noise in the brain, but that they're Mm -hmm. taking seriously. Then Mm -hmm. I'll always amplify it and say, oh, it's going to be really shitty. Oh, yeah, yeah. I I imagine this may be the worst day of your life. And so and so and so I'll go until my wife starts to laugh. And then uh, and then there's a kind of a it's almost like there's not a I'm not pushing her to the positive. I'm like forcing the negative to go so far that it's so far fetched that all of a sudden the laughter ensues. And then it's just like the release of just all the nonsense Mm. that, uh, that you were actually taking seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I love that because I've, I've actually done that with a number of people when they're like, oh, like this is just the worst. I'm like, oh my God, you're right. That sucks. I can't yeah. even imagine what you're like. Wow. Your life sucks and they're like wait a minute no it doesn't i'm like well, you just exactly. said it did. i'm just agreeing with you yeah, exactly. <laughs> you've got the worst life oh my god if it's i had to awful. tell anybody not to live that life it would be yours you know yes. oh wow we've so gotten good. exactly 30 minutes on the show and i have a big ticket item that we haven't gotten into yet is it how how to um <clears throat> How to get out of the friend zone? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. We might get that. We had a pre-recording. We'll go possibly to there, but I wanted to ask a question before the friend zone question, which is an inside. It's, we're going to apologize to our producer. He really gets angry at me when I use what he called. He explained to me it's called inside baseball. And inside baseball, which you'll know because you've 
produced movies is when we talk about something that no one watching the show understands. And I told Bombos, we're not allowed to do inside baseball anymore because the producer always says, Andy, I can't use anything when you tell a joke that no one apologizes. Cass Mitchley. <laughs> Cass Mitchley. We both apologize to you. Um, so, uh, so I want to know, we went into who you were, but we didn't go into the deep dark hole, which is where that behavior potentially came from. And there's an archetype, and I just want to see if that archetype fits. Was mommy or daddy not fully accepting and loving who you were so that you had to prove yourself? Because that's the archetype. Is that is that something you'd say you fit um, into? So, so great diagnosis. Congratulations. <laughs> Bumbos, is, Bumbos is hitting my leg. I don't know what's going on underneath. But no, I mean- no, no, guys, listen. <laughs> like this, this is this is textbook. Textbook. You have yeah. a high, you know, you have a, a high achiever. You know, you have someone that's like very outgoing, very much the extrovert, very much you know all of that. You're if you're if you're like I'm a walking textbook right here um my mother if you go right back it wasn't it wasn't that uh, um i was like constantly trying to prove myself it wasn't that it was i was waiting to be heard uh, so my mother is is a classic narcissist nice. um yes classic and of course i didn't even know what that was growing up but yeah. you know it, it's gotten to the point where like as human beings the one thing that i have discovered is all we truly want is to be acknowledged seen and heard that yeah. is it we want to be acknowledged, seen, and heard. Even if you go right back to the very beginning, our two survival modes that we have is either attachment or authenticity. Yeah. So all you got to do is look at a three-year-old walking around going, I'm here, I'm fabulous, saying everything that they want to do or say, and they're embarrassing to parents and everything else. They're truly leaning into that incredible authenticity that is them. But what happens is we we grow we come into this world needing attachment because we can't function without our parents, right? We can't yeah. function without them. So now imagine we got to go right back to the very beginning where you wanted to go and where was the attachment? If my my number one maternal parent is a narcissist, I am not the most important thing in their world. They are. Right. They are. So what happens? Give me an example. Give me a story like something that would be typical where I'm going to like like get sick to my stomach. Like, give me one moment that I can. Like, oh, wait, I don't know with. if I want to give like super, super bad moments. But oh, OK, um, classic. Oh, I actually I, I in my in my in my marriage here, we just call it classic Linda, you know, classic <laughs> Linda, classic Linda. OK, I'll give you I'll give you a really great example that'll make actually um, your listeners kind of cringe here. But I remember so I ended up getting cast on a television show. I never want it wasn't that I was pursuing that. It wasn't that I was like, I'm going to be a TV star. It wasn't that at all. I literally fell into it. I was I was at that time. I was in the wedding industry and I was um, editing this bridal magazine. And so this this television company, I was living down in Niagara in Canada. Mm-hmm. And this television company, this production company came to me and said, you know, we're looking for this particular thing for the show that we're doing or whatever. Can you help you help us out? So I'm like working with the producers who I don't know if you've noticed, I'm a very dramatic person and have a lot of passion and everything. When I talk, apparently 
classic for television. And so because the personality is larger than life, right? Yeah. And so the producer said to me, you know, you really should audition for the show. You should come and be on the show. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, there's no reason for me be- to be on that show. And it was it was to be um, a wedding planner on a television show, a reality show. Um, the show is down in the States. It's called Rich Bride, Poor Bride is the show that I was on for like six seasons. And so they said to me, you should really, you know, like think about auditioning for this and becoming a part of the show. Um, you know, long story short, um, I got on the show. Um, and so I'm, I'm going along and it's like, wow, like this is so unbelievable. I mean, hear this show. I mean, this show was very, very successful when it was on years ago. I mean, it ended up, you know, being broadcast in like 72 different countries. Like there was at one point when it was at the height of that, that like I got recognized everywhere. Like it was nuts. I, I remember sitting in the backyard once and I was saying to my mom, you know, I just still can't believe this. Like, I just can't believe that all of a sudden, like, I'm on this, like, you know, international show and like, this is happening. Can you believe how things happen? It's like, wow. It's like, you have that moment where you're like, wow, I kind of made it. Like I made it, you know, without even trying. Right. It's like, I made it. And my mother looks at me and says, well, I'll know when you've made it, when you buy me a house. (laughs) And I was like, Wow. Like there was no like, you know, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So proud of you. Like, you know, here are daughters on TV. It was like, no. No, so that did you buy her a house? I yeah, did exactly. not. That yeah. would never happen. <laughs> then we'd have to have another coaching session completely. Wow. Yeah, I yeah. can see. I, I know that personality type. That yes. I know that that I was working with this individual for many years, and it was the weirdest thing. Like I've seen my life now about like celebrating the success and nurturing it in others, even if it's just little successes, just trying is it success. You don't need to get anything from it. The act of just trying is already mm. something to be celebrated. And um, and so I'm with this individual and every time I would say anything, because they would always talk about what they were doing. And I, and I don't like a tit for tat way of talking, like, tell me what you're doing. Now I'm going to tell you what I do. So I'd let this person kind of blow off steam for the hour that they had. And I say, oh yeah, that's that's great. And then maybe they say, so what are you doing? I say, oh, I'm doing, uh, I'm going to do a course. And then, then like before you'd finish the sentence, it would be like, oh, I've done that five times and, and, uh, and I'm planning. And so you're just sitting there like, and then, and then they're like on this subtle and not so subtle way, diminishing everything you're doing to the, and not acting like that. Cause in another conversation, they'll sort of say, oh, he's doing great work. But when they're with you, they're just diminishing you over and over again. You're like, yeah. And, and, and the interesting thing is that they uh, this individual had to diminish because he's trying to charge more. And he asked he had to create a persona that was everyone around me doesn't know what they're doing. That's why I get paid this much. So he had to do it to keep that sort of aura. So other people would project something onto him that he could exactly. then get value from. Yeah. Who was it? Exactly. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> Yeah, no, but it was, it's, it's, it's very true. It's, yeah. you know, it's, you know, having having a parent like that. The thing is, is there there is a time where it's like, mm. you know, you just you so long to be acknowledged, seen and heard. Yeah. And and for me, it was like, you know, I, I would constantly because like, especially with someone with that personality, they they truly never hear you. They never hear you. What they do hear, they hear their version of whatever you just said, and then yeah. they manipulate it it 
to become whatever dialogue and narrative they have in their head of how it needs to fit in there. And so my entire childhood was just constantly going, you're not listening to me. I did not say that. You're not listening to me. These are the exact words that I said. How on earth did you broken telephone that while I'm standing right here in front of you? You know what I mean? And so what ends up happening is you, is you just, it's, it's just that constant frustration, you know? And, and so, yeah, you're like so what ends up happening is you're never going to get that you're never you're never you know anyone that ever says to me oh well you know like i just it's like they want to turn them they want to make them better one day they will i'm just waiting for yeah. I'm like you're going to be waiting till the cows come home i'm oh, like i was going to say I, I literally that's, said to that's someone, codependence that's totally, like the height of codependence totally. yeah and and i literally said i'm like honestly if you believe that one day that is going to happen i'm going to tell you right now you also believe in unicorns yeah. because unicorns exist just as much as that's going to you know what i mean it's like you gotta start understanding that's just never going to happen and the thing is it's 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 like andy you talk about you've done the work it's like that's when you do the work that's when you really got to start going in and what ends up happening is as human beings again i'll go back to it we want to be acknowledged seen and heard but we're taught and we learn and society continually tells us we need that from an outside source yeah And that's wrong. The only thing, the only person we need to be heard from, listened to, acknowledged from is us. That's it. I needed to learn how to do that for me. I needed to learn that I was the only one that was going to do that. I was the only one. And that's where that's where the whole concept of put yourself first is. Hmm. Put yourself first isn't about getting your nails done and getting a massage. It's truly understanding who you are, mind, body, spirit. And really, at the end of the day, as long as you are fulfilled from yourself and you do that work, the rest is just gravy, right? Yeah. That's the bonuses that we get. If someone else celebrates you, if someone else says something or you know congratulates you or whatever that's just a bonus but we got to do it for ourselves first and then and then go outside and that's the thing it's like i always i i teach women that it's not about putting yourself first selfishly because a lot of women will say that i you know oh my gosh then i would just feel so selfish and there's that guilt and there is that constant that's a dialogue that happens with women i'm not saying that it doesn't happen with men but mostly for women that does everyone else has to come first and i always say to them it's not about selfishly just taking away from anyone else in your life it's learning that i put me first to put you first i do this one so that I can be a better person for you. I see right? there's a, I see it also. I treat there's a bit of a nuance in it that I also have added so that it kind of doesn't have to create too much tension. And I say not without me. So <laughs> so so like I don't know what it's gonna be, but it's not gonna exclude what I also want. Mm-hmm. So it is it isn't even necessarily me or you first in that sense. That's how I try to like navigate mm-hmm. that that it's like, but not without what I want in this di- in this dynamic or this interaction. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a funny thing because I was I mentioned this on a few I'm, I'm um, just finishing the ma- the manuscript for the third uh, book at the moment and uh, I got halfway through it and I mentioned this on another show and then 
And then I had an oh fuck moment. Like I was like, oh my God, this whole book makes no sense. Like that's the worst part when you're writing because as you're writing, you're learning things and then you're like, oh Jesus, I missed the most important thing. And the book doesn't make sense without this thing. So Mm -hmm. the whole book can be scrapped unless I address it. And the thing that that it was, it was similar to putting yourself first, which was I labeled in the book personal responsibility. Because what I what I noticed is that Nothing makes sense if you start to think that the outside world is the thing that's the problem or the thing that needs to be fixed. Like, so the personal responsibility component for me is the moment when I'm like, oh, shit, all of my failed relationships, the one consistent thing in all of that was me. Like, that's the only thing I can rely on. And then the personal responsibility then in my in my vernacular. So where is it where I haven't yet seen in myself, which is whatever that behavior I'm not aware of? And it'll, of course, evolve over time. But where is that showing up and causing the, the pain and the suffering that's also occurring not only in me, but in these other relationships? And so there is a putting me first was interesting, has a lot of dimensions to it. But one of the dimensions for me also is putting me first is also putting me first in the sense of I've got to figure out what I need to figure out before I start like interacting with the world and screwing things up again. And that also means that I can't bring you in in that period because I'm not ready to interact like for my dad at first. I couldn't interact with my father because he was undermining my confidence. And I say he was undermining my confidence because that was my headspace at that moment. Yeah. So it's interesting putting yourself first to some degree is saying I'm taking personal responsibility for what I can by by at least not not doing everything for everyone else and then losing myself in that over and over again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that was I a lot completely of words agree. I, I had to do the same. Like I um I did the exact same thing as you. Like I had I created the space between myself and my mother. And, and I said the exact same dialogue. I need to take this space away from her because she is, you know, manipulating my own thoughts. She is, you know, uh, causing the frustration. She isn't, that wasn't it at all, you know, and it was in that discovery. I walked away for three years from her, three years, no contact, zero. I just walked away. And, and I remember the first year that I walked away was very much that it was still the blame game. Right. Because it's too hard. It's too hard to see that this is what we're doing to ourselves. It's too hard to admit that, yeah. you know, it's like, my God. Right. And so the first year was that. And there was a lot of resentment. <clears throat> I resented that I didn't have a maternal mother. I resented that I had girlfriends that had these close relationships with their mother. And I didn't. I resent. <clears throat> I would watch a movie that had a fabulous mother in it. And I freaking resent the movie. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you just you, you like you. And so then so then resentment and the anger and then yeah. that turned into you then I was like really sad and it was like now I'm the victim you know what yeah. I mean and so it's like you go through all of these stages and it wasn't until I finally like wait a minute and it's exactly what you said I'm the constant in this yeah. right I kept showing up time and time again I gave myself permission every single time to go in I gave myself permission to to share portions of my life with her knowing how she, how she was going to make me feel knowing I would know I'm like oh if I, if I tell my mother this I know the way she's going to react and this is what she's going to say to me and yet then I would go in and yeah. create that punishment for myself yeah. right like we just we do these things over and over again when all of a sudden you realize, I don't, wait a minute, I don't have to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. I can really like 
huh. And it was like, when, then that's when you really start to do the work. That's when you yeah. really start to understand who you are, what it is that we need, how, my God, if there was one part that I played better than anything on this planet, it was the victim. Oh, I was yeah. the victim. I have a narcissistic mother. This is why I'm the way I am. Yeah. Oh, feel sorry for me, whatever it is, right? It's like, yeah. my God, I should have gotten Oscar for the for the, yeah. the incredible victim that I played, right? And it's yeah. like, then when you take the responsibility of like, I, I don't want to be the victim anymore. I think I'm done being that person. And now it's like I was able to invite her back in. And it was amazing because all of the mm -hmm. things that would trigger me, the comments, the, the sarcasm, that just that, you know, that kind of like yeah. stabbing you in the heart with whatever it is. And I remember I invited her to my, my mom and dad to brunch and my mother said these comments and I would, I kept giggling all through brunch. Cause I'm like, Oh, there it is. <laughs> and, and then I'd be like, I don't feel triggered. Like I don't yeah. feel angry. I don't feel frustrated. I don't feel hurt. I don't feel any of those things anymore because yeah. I wasn't giving myself permission to be the victim. Right. Yeah. And I was like, huh, I can do this now. I can actually have a relationship with her. But the thing is, is I definitely keep her at arm's length. I also yeah. moved to Toronto. She lives in Niagara. She's like an hour and a half away from me. So I created yeah. that beautiful distance. You know what I mean? But yeah, it's like, it's so much easier to have that relationship because I know who she is. But the best part is, is I know more about who I am now. Yeah. I think the best thing in those moments for those listeners out there who might want the tips, once you've gotten to the place where where Heidi is sharing the uh, this topic, I think it's really nice to reach out and hold that person's hand while while they're being that horrible sarcastic person. Just say, "I love you so much." Just 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 look at them in the eyes, and then you just see them kind of they like don't know where to go because the discomfort of the connection is just like beyond. <laughs> it's like you want to make them quiet, show them like love. Just say, "I love you so much." Yeah, I love you so much. Yes. Their whole face, they're just like, oh, how do I deal with this? Mm -hmm. And and if, if you want to have visuals, I have like how many videos? Bambos, okay, Bambos, Bambos. 15 videos. Share, because I want, like, we've talked a little bit about this, but but I'd like for you to kind of share the journey that you made with your mom the last few, few like, months ago or whenever it was. I, it was it's very similar to you guys, right? Uh, mother is shut down, father left never opened up to another man. So she lived kind of this suppressed tension. So whenever we would try to hug or interact with her, she's always going into the past, blaming, never taking responsibility. So these were all the judgments. Mm -hmm. I went back now. Uh, it's been two months now. Oh, two months. Uh, and um, I guess I'm going to heal the relationship with her. And what I did is I held space for her. And I didn't need her to be anything more or less than what she was. Everything she said was welcomed and there was nothing to defend. And all of a sudden, like, you guys never listened to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would do eye gazing with her. I would hold her hand. I would just do hugs, 60-second hugs. And, and he recorded these and put them online. And... <laughs> And you would feel the tension in her body, like as he's giving her this love. It was the it was to watch it was it was it was like watching a National Geographic where it was excruciating because you don't want the gazelle to get killed by the lion. Like you kind of want that to, to escape, but the gazelle could not escape Bombos's grip. <laughs> <laughs> 
but but by, by the end of the I was there for three weeks. By the end of three weeks, uh, she's been laughing. I actually asked her, "Hey, mom, what did you learn from our time together?" And she says, "You're fun to be with. I thought you'd be miserable." <laughs> yeah, that's so, amazing. Thank you so, for sharing that. That's really amazing. So even until now in Amsterdam, we have video calls every morning with tea and coffee, and we still uh, interact. And it was interesting because there's an, a sideline story, which is kind of fascinating, is that Bambos and I had an online argument, which we don't normally have all that much, but we, we're, we're kind of whatever we are, we are. And the argument was exactly the thing that I say as a mentor, because I'll work as a mentor to Bambos. We don't, I was told by our producer not to do it on air anymore because it confuses the hell out of people watching, but that's okay. So, but the thing was, was that it was exactly him defending something on air. And I'm like, once you defend, all of a sudden you then are trying to, you're reinforcing a self-identity, which now means you're not free. Because if I need to defend against a thing that all of a sudden I'm living and I need to make sure my environment is okay because I'm not okay unless my environment's okay. So we had that dialogue on air and everyone, of course, watching was Inclu- a little- Including our guest. Including our guest who's sitting there looking like, I think <laughs> the guest was also judging me because he didn't really understand what was going on. Uh, he, he was he was judging you, he told me. Oh yeah, how oh, funny. So he didn't even realize the love that was really here. Like you're so oblivious that this love- Helping him. So, and, and I w- wanted to share that story. What, what was beautiful is that actually it's in that moment of forcing the recognition that I'm defending that you then get the opportunity when you meet a real situation with like an uncomfortable mom situation where then that's where you get the payoff. That's when you really get the, the breakthroughs in life. Nice. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Which is nice. I just realized wow. that now. Yeah. Wow. That's phenomenal. How long have you, how long have you guys known each other again? 2000. End of 2014, we met. 2014, wow. Oh, wow. or midway when okay. I was when I was starting my business. Yeah, and not not knowing how to make money with my business. Yeah, Bambos was not in the best of places, and and then I just it, he. Uh, I'll often see a lot of people come to me for help, and I usually say no just because there's not enough hours in the day. I put myself first some time ago and I said, listen, I just can't help the world. And and then there'll be times when I'll see that the, the, the level of determination is so high that it's almost like I, in my world, it feels almost irresponsible not to support it because it's not that the energy to get there isn't there. It's just the support to how to make better decisions and how to like understand little things that'll immediately have a a dramatic uh, impact in our improvement. And that was sort of the, and so he put in all the energy and I, and, and I think I've often seen like even losing weight or going to a fitness trainer, like half the job is paying the money. So you show up like that's like just showing up and then dedicating it to by putting money down is sort of half of what a trainer is doing for that that person. Mm. And, and Bambo is basically, he had already put the money down on doing it. So I didn't have to motivate anything. I just had to say, Hey, this is probably another step you want to make at a certain point, which was, mm-hmm. which was nice. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. So we, we have uh, about six minutes. Mm-hmm. How do, how do you marry someone from the friend zone? Yeah. 
We got to we got to share a little little pretext for this. Before we came on, the question was was that basically Heidi said to us, she said that she had a second marriage. First marriage didn't work out, probably because you didn't put yourself first, or maybe you did, and then it didn't work out. And then there was a friend of yours, a male friend, and he transitioned from being a friend to being a lover and then a partner for life. So Bombos and I were very inquisitive. How did he move from the friend zone to the end zone? I mean, he, he asked you for a date on your birthday. For yeah. my birthday. For yes. Birthday, yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, that's exactly what happened. So he, uh, I, I'd left my first husband. He kind of found out that we were now, um, you know, getting a divorce and, and everything else. And how much, how much time between these periods? Give us a kind of a sense of. Um, so I left my ex-husband, I think it was like the beginning of the, the a new year. Um, it was like early, early in the year. And then my birthday's June. So it's late June. Okay. So he had found out he hadn't, he wasn't even in the country. He'd been traveling and everything else and didn't even know because we kind of lost touch. That was the thing. We'd lost touch for about a good year or so. And in, in the midst of that, where we were no longer in touch, I split up. And so he came back into the city. He'd been traveling everywhere and he kind of came back into the city and he was talking with his sister-in-law. This is a crazy story. And his sister-in-law knew me and she said, you know, have you heard the news? And he's like, what news? Like I, you know, like I generally work out, you know, in Texas, like he wasn't even in Canada, you know what I mean? And he's like, what news? And she's like, well, oh my gosh, like Heidi left her husband and he's like, oh my God, really? Like, wow, that's kind of shocking. Um, didn't like actually see that one coming. And so then she says, I don't know if you realize this, but like, honestly, you and Heidi would definitely make a much better couple. You have more in common than she did with her, you know, ex-husband. Uh-huh. I'm going to tell you right now, like, if you don't do something about it, I don't think she's going to be single for long. And so he was like, oh, damn, yeah, maybe I got to do something about this. So he like just like out of the blue called me like out of the blue. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, Mike Allen, are you kidding me? Like, what are you doing? Where have you been? Like, what's going on in life? And so he's catching me up on his life and everything. No, actually, he said, like, what's going on with you? And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't even tell you. Like, this past year has been nuts. And I left gym and like the whole thing. And, and I'm like, it's just been like a nightmare and he was really listening there's key gentlemen he really listened to what was going on and he really listened and I'm like what's going on with you and he's like oh you know like I just you know back and forth working in Texas and that but you know I'm here and he's like you know he's like is your birthday coming up soon and I'm like, wow, good memory. Again, that is a key. Women like to be heard. <laughs> they want to know that you're like paying attention. And so he was like, isn't your birthday coming up? And I'm like, yes, it actually is. And so he's like, oh, that'd be great. I'd, I'd love to take you up for your birthday. And I was like, wait a minute. Like I literally on the call went, wait a minute. Are you asking me out on a date? And he's like, yeah, I mean, you know, like we're two friends and like, you know, it's your birthday and like, you know, like we're two people that are going to go out and if you want to call it a date, we can call it a date. But like, and I was like, huh, okay, well, you can take me out. Sure, that would be wonderful. And so 
we went out, we went. So then I, we kind of texted back and forth like a couple times or whatever. And then like he literally, he, 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 the, the, the most amazing thing about what he did on the date for my birthday was this. If there is one, like I, I constantly tell, you know, like one thing about me is, I, which is why I was a producer is very much. And it's like that overachiever is I've always kind of described myself as a type A personality on crack. So that is who I am. And anyone that knows me, that's kind of the person that I am. So what got him immediately out of the friend zone was this. He sent me and an agenda. Yours? He sent me an agenda for my birthday. An agenda for the entire day. It started early afternoon. He he knew that like I like to work out. I like to do these things. He's like even even he even told me in the agenda what to wear for each different thing that we were doing. He allotted time like everything. So it was like you know, and then it was like likes and dislikes. I'm going to be you know making this picnic or whatever because we're going to be out here. So it started off with something physical, which was we went and played tennis. Right. So he knew, he knew that I liked stuff like that. So like we went and played tennis. So there was one outfit and then he's like, Oh, and then we're going to be like having this picnic or whatever. So you're probably going to want to, you know, casual wear. Um, we're going to be at this particular place. So you're going to be able to change, you know, should you wish to change for this to happen? And then like, you know, what are your likes and dislikes? What do you, you know, all of this stuff. So everything that I liked, he had at the picnic. And then once the picnic and everything was done, then there was time where he dropped me back off at home to you go and get ready I will then come back and pick you up I've booked us to go to this restaurant this is like the formality of it so you know how to dress like every, I was just like literally I've said to people he had me at agenda <laughs> it was just the attention to detail was mind-blowing <laughs> I was gonna say it sounds like this guy's a real closer Oh, my. Mike Allen. Mike Allen. I am amazed. I am utterly amazed. And and I want to know how long, and maybe this is a, a precarious question, but I do have, and Bambos has the same question. How long did it take for it to become more romantic? From, well, it, from well, that? well, I'll just, I'll give you the timeline. We were married two years less a day from that first date. Two days less a day. Yeah. So it like, it quickly progressed. Yes. Wow. <laughs> I thought you were gonna and ask. now and now we've been married 17 years. We've been ma- we've been together like wow, 17 years. Yeah, we've been married 17 years now. Wow. Yeah. And w- what is the thing you hate most about Mike Allen? That I hate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that. <laughs> exactly. Don't answer that question. No. Don't answer. But I like that I like that I had a moment for you to think, "Well, I'm going to think about this one." <laughs> oh my god. Oh, well. Hmm. We've uh, we've gone over our hour. Yes. Thank you for being with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Where can people find more information and what would you like them and how should they contact you? Uh, definitely putyoufirst.com. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Heidi Allen is over on Facebook. Um, I'm Heidi Allen and live well over on Instagram. Yeah, just definitely uh, reach out. Um, I'm here. And if people want to see you on this TV show that you said, Rich Bride, Poor Bride, then how do they do that? 
Um, actually, it's it's on Prime. <laughs> it's on Prime. Okay. Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime now. <laughs> it's on Amazon Prime. So if we want to yeah. see you on, and you will be on that show as a uh, as someone that narrates it, or or, or... as one of the wedding planners. Okay. Yeah. So the there, there's there's multiple episodes of ridiculousness. Oh, I'm sure embarrassment that it lives in infamy. Mm-hmm. Thank you for being with us. We send you a lot of love. Bye-bye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bye. Thank you guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye. It's a wonderful chaos. We like it that way.